0: We come now to the time in our worship service where we open and read together God's Word. And this morning we find ourselves in Psalm chapter 6, which is on page, of your pub- on the page 449 and 450 of your Pew Bible. So let's give our attention now to God's holy and inerrant Word. Psalm 6, beginning in verse 1, David writes this, "'O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you, and Sheol, who will give you praise?' I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste, My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your bountiful goodness towards all Your creation. We thank You this morning for how You have provided for all our needs and in these gifts, tithes, and offerings, we simply return to you what you have first given to us, and we ask that you would use them for the spread of your glory in this world, in order that you would use these for the revealing of your kingdom here and throughout the world, in order that you would use these gifts for the proclamation of the good news of the gospel. And uh, we pray that it would go out to the nations, and even as we pray that this good news would go out to the nations, we pray that as we come before Your Word now, um, that this same good news would be proclaimed to us, for those of us who have known it for years and years um, in our lives, that it would sound again afresh in our ears. For those of us who are new in the faith, that would remind us of things we have come to know. Uh, for those who do not know you at this moment, Father, reveal the wonders of your redemption and the good news of the gospel, that the dead might even come to life this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, and children ages three to first grade, you are dismissed to children 's church at this time, if you make your way to the back of the sanctuary, someone will take you to your class. <clears throat> um, the psalms you may know are divided into five books or volumes, and this summer we 're looking at a selection of psalms from the first book of psalms and Last week, if you happen to have been here, we were looking together at Psalm 1, and this morning we're turning our attention to Psalm chapter 6 that we read earlier, and I want us to talk this morning about how the gospel can create in us an incredibly unique posture for facing all that life has to offer us. Um, you know this without me telling you this, but we live in a broken world, and that means that life is filled with instability. It's filled with turbulence, if you will. And there are lots of ups and downs to be experienced in this life, and you need a posture that can give you stability in the midst of life's instability. Um, posture, according to the dictionary's definition, is a frame of mind affecting one's thoughts and behavior, right? So my question is, what if you had a posture? What if you had a way for seeing your life, um, for seeing yourself, that shaped you so fundamentally that nothing could throw you off balance? Um, What if you had a posture that set you free from being pulled and pushed and tossed up and down, right, by life circumstances. What if you could have a posture that shaped your thoughts and your behavior with a unique stability right in the midst of life's instability? Um, On the tail of an airplane, there are two sets of fins, right? Um, There's a vertical fin, and then there are the horizontal fins. And those two sets of fins are what give the airplane its stability in flight, right? The the horizontal fins, right, they, they keep the plane from constantly pitching up and down in flight uh, during turbulence. And that vertical fin, right, it keeps the plane from yawing, I, I looked that word up, uh, or being pulled and pushed, you know, to the right or left. Uh, but both sets have to be working together at the same time, right, to give that plane stability. Um, And without those two sets of fins, the first and slightest bit of turbulence is going to cause major amounts of trouble and trauma, right? There's all this turbulence out there in life um, to be experienced in life, Um, Some of you are in the midst of it right now. You're feeling the frustrations and the stresses and the pressures that you face in your careers. And there are fractured relationships among us. There are financial pressures that some of you are dealing with. There is the shame and the guilt you feel in life over your failures. There are the stresses you experience in your own home with your kids, with your spouse. There's the hurt and disappointment that seems to come into our lives with some regularity, right? And fundamentally, you need two things, just like those two sets of fins. You need two things to find stability in the midst of life's instability. And you need both of them operating at the very same time. Here's what you need. You need a posture of extreme humility and at the same time a posture of extreme confidence. See, not a little humility and then a little confidence, but you need a full-blown humility and a full-blown confidence at the same time. See, if you want freedom in your life. Freedom from anxiety over an unpredictable future that lies before you. Freedom of stability in your relationships. Freedom to own your own brokenness without spiraling into shame. If you want a freedom to face the hurt and disappointments of this life without being crushed by them, what you need is humble confidence. You need a humility that is completely shot through with confidence. And so here's what we're going to do this morning with this psalm. I want us to talk about these three things. I want us to talk about this posture of humility first. And then second, I want us to talk about this posture of confidence. And then third and finally, I really just want to have a discussion about how the gospel can give us both of those at the same time. Okay, first, let's talk about the posture of humility. George Martin, um, author of the popular Game of Thrones books, which I am not recommending or endorsing by mentioning this, um, but he has one of his characters say something in his in his first book, which I thought was incredibly insightful. he says, "Most men, most men would rather deny a hard truth than face it." Another author. Um, Psychologist Dan Allender wrote that it's in our human nature, in yours and mine, to prefer the illusion because we have a deep need to be buffered from reality. Here's what I'm saying. Deep within all of us is this compulsion to avoid reality. Deep within us is a compulsion to distance ourselves From reality and from this posture of humility. About 10 years ago, there was a TV show, a game show that came on, and it only lasted one season, maybe not even the whole season. It was controversial, and so it was canceled. And the name of the TV show was Moment of Truth. Uh, You could probably Google it and find some clips, though, somewhere. Um, But the premise of the show was this. Prior to the live show, They brought the contestants in, and they hooked them all up to a polygraph, right, a lie detector. And they then asked them a bunch of personal questions, but didn't let them see the results of the polygraph. And then it was during the live show that the contestants were asked the same exact questions, right? And But this time, (laughs) they were answering them in front of their family and friends seated in the front row, a little different. And they had to find the courage to answer these questions honestly in front of their loved ones if they wanted to win the game and win a lot of money, right? And so the results of the lie detector was the check to the games, right? So after the contestants answered a particular question, this generic computer voice, right, would come on, and it would answer true if their answer squared with the results of the lie detector, or, or false um, if the contestant's answer wasn't the truth. And I only saw one episode of this show, but it definitely stuck with me, um, A woman was the contestant on the show, and she was answering these questions, and seated about as far as this front row is away from me were her husband and her mom and dad. And um, the questions she was asked increased in difficulty as the show went on. You know, it started out, would you rather give food to a homeless person or a dog? And she said, to a homeless person. Then you'd hear the generic computer voice. True. So she proceeds. Have you ever been glad to see one of your siblings get in trouble? Yes. Computer voice, true, right? Do you think your parents, your parents are proud of you? Yes. Computer voice, true. And it was a really sweet moment. Um, but then came the next question, right? The next question was this. Do you believe that you should be married to your ex-boyfriend? Remember, husband seated right there. She pauses, but then says, yes. Generic computer voice, true. That was a big money question, $100,000, right? But camera pans to just destroyed husband on the front row. Then, then she was asked this. Since your marriage, have you had ever had sexual relations with someone other than your husband? You're uncomfortable hearing it. That's fine. I, was, I felt dirty watching it a little bit. Um, she said, yes. Computer voice, true. Husband, just undone in pain and humiliation on the front row. And then one more question. The very next question was this. Do you think you're a good person? She said, yes. Yes. Generic computer voice. False. Right? You've got to remember that the game show wasn't making a judgment about her character. It was the polygraph. It was the lie detector that was saying her answer was a lie. She was in complete denial. She didn't know herself at all, right? Game over. She lost all that money, and I'm assuming her marriage too. Um, we would rather deny A hard truth than face it. Prefer the illusion in order to buffer ourselves from reality, and in the process, we avoid a posture of humility. See, in our most sober moments of reflection, and you've been there, many of us have walked right up to the edge of facing reality. And it happens to us in those moments when, for whatever reason, We become painfully aware that we are just shadows of what we were meant to be. When we realize that we are so not what we want to be in this life, much less what we feel like we ought to be in this life. We want to be kind. We want to be courageous. We want to be faithful and long-suffering and self-controlled, and we want to be people of integrity, right? And we want to be people of conviction, and we want to be people of joy, but we know we're not. And so we back away from the edge of having to face reality in our own moments of truth, right? We reason, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so, as those people. (laughs) Or, you know, at least I'm not in denial like that woman on that show he talked about, right? Um, And that little bit of self-righteousness lurking around in your heart It's backing you away from the edge. Or you numb yourself, right? And you back away from the edge uh, as you're binging on your entertainments or your substances or whatever it is, avoiding having to face reality. Or you make excuses. You know, if I didn't have such an unreasonable boss, if I didn't have such a cold spouse, such a stressful job, if I didn't have these desires, aren't these God's desires that He gave me? And each excuse is a subtle step back from the edge of reality, from facing reality and embracing a posture of humility. You know, without a posture of humility, you are going to be thrown off balance by every bit of turbulence that comes into your life. You're going to be quick to be defensive, and you're going to be quick to be angry when criticized because you have to be right about everything. You have to keep up the illusion. Right? We're full of arrogance when life goes well. And we're full of despondency when life goes poorly without a posture of humility. Or without a posture of humility, we become bitter and all the bumps that we feel in life just make us feel so slighted that we got an unfair deal in life, that we deserved better than this. In Psalm 6… David shows you what a posture of humility really looks like. I mean, just think about how this psalm started, right? Oh, Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. And you got to ask the question, if you read this psalm, what is it that David's done? Right? What particular or specific sin has David feeling like this and confessing this? And the answer is that there isn't one. Right? What he's saying is he's saying, this is who I am. I'm broken through and through. I mean, he's leaning in and embracing reality. He's saying, I know I deserve your anger. I know I deserve your wrath, but please be kind and merciful to me. See, that awareness of reality has reduced him to tears, verses 6 through 7. It's reduced him to groaning, verse 6. It's troubling his soul, verse 3. He's not backing away from the edge. He's leaning all the way in. The weight of it is so real that he feels like his bones are being crushed, verse 2. Now, let me ask you this question. What would happen if you leaned all the way in? Let me tell you, it would cure you of your self-righteousness. It would keep you from bitterness over feeling that life is just unfair to you. Can you even imagine the freedom that would come in your life from ending this game of spin with others and with yourself and with God? Can you imagine how really embracing a posture of humility would totally change your relationships? What if you didn't have to be so defensive about criticism in your life? How much more vulnerability and intimacy would characterize your relationships if you came into them with a posture of humility like this? What if you could stop living in fear of what others might find out about you? What if you could stop living in fear about what you might find out about yourself? Maybe I can ask it this this way. When's the last time you've wept over your brokenness? And what's stopping you? What's stopping you from leaning all the way in and facing the hard truth rather than denying it? Listen, if you're going to be free, if you're going to experience freedom and find stability in the midst of instability, this psalm is saying you need a posture of total and extreme humility coursing through your life. Okay, second, let's talk about the posture of confidence because there is a dramatic change of tone in this psalm when you get to verse 8. See, verse 7 says, my eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. And then comes verse 8, depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. And if you're honest, immediately he sounds so confident that we might label it arrogance, right? He is absolutely certain, without a shadow of a doubt, that God has heard him. He's completely confident that God is going to deliver him. Depart from me. It's a done deal. God heard me, and he accepts my prayer. I mean, here's what he's absolutely confident about. He is absolutely confident That God loves him. That God accepts him. That God is crazy about him. Verse 9, the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. That's the posture of confidence. Right there with the posture of humility. You know, as I was reading through this psalm, there there was something that caught my attention about this posture of of confidence. You know, David had confidence that God heard his cries for deliverance, yes, and so he told his enemies to depart from him, right? David had confidence that God heard his pleas for mercy and healing, yes, but all that weeping in verses 6 and 7. He's flooding his bed with tears. He's drenched his couch with his tears. His eye is wasting away because of his grief. But then down in verse 8, David wrote, the Lord has heard what? The sound of my weeping. You know how amazing that is? I mean, he is so confident in God's love for him. He's saying that when, that when my words gave way to tears, when I didn't know what to pray, when words couldn't form on my lips, I knew that God would hear the sound of my tears hitting the pillow. He was certain that God noticed him, that he mattered to God, right? He was sure that his pain in life moved the God of heaven and earth. That's the posture of confidence. Listen to what the prophet Zephaniah wrote. I know a lot of you have been reading through Zephaniah lately. So, Zephaniah (laughs) chapter 3, verse 17… Hard to find little book. It's just three chapters long. But this is Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you, He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you, He will quiet you with His love, He will rejoice over you with singing. Can you believe that? Right, is that the picture you have in your mind's eye of God? That he is head over heels delighting in you? That the God of heaven and earth, he sings songs of rejoicing over you? Right, that when your tears hit the pillow, he's with you. Do you know what will happen if you have confidence like this, that God feels this way about you? Zephaniah tells you, he will quiet you with his love the fears you have of an unpredictable future, the anxiety that's created in your life by your shame, the pressure you feel over the uncertainty of how your boss thinks about your performance or the insecurity you have in your relationship with your spouse, to be confident in his love for you, it will give you freedom. Stability in the midst of instability. He will quiet your soul with his love, I get to play golf t- with some friends tomorrow, and so golf is somewhat on my brain today. Um, I- I've been known to give up the game of golf entirely in an afternoon, so maybe singing a different tune tomorrow or Tuesday. But um, PGA this the story I remembered reading years ago came to me this morning as I was thinking about it. PGA golfer uh, Tom Pernice Jr. His caddy was asked what his most unforgettable moment on tour was. And this is several years ago, uh, but this is what he said. This is what stuck out to him, right? This is what made an impact on him, and for very good reason. This is what he said. The most unforgettable moment on tour was when Tom won his second PGA Tour title at the International presented by Quest last year. His six-year-old daughter, who is blind, jumped into his arms just to feel his expression with her hands. What if you had this frame of mind, this posture, that all you had to do was get into your father's arms and you would feel the delight in his face over you? That you would feel his pleasure his joy in you, that you could delight in His delighting in you. I mean, what difference would that make in your life and how you experience the ups and downs, the turbulence of life? Listen, if you knew with certainty that you are always heard, not just your voice but even your tears, that you are always loved that you're always delighted in, that the God of heaven and earth is singing songs of rejoicing over you, that you couldn't be accepted any more than you already are, what would it be like for you to lean into that? Listen to the reasons David gave in this psalm. He gave some reasons to God that God would come and deliver him and show him grace. Verse 2, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for... I am languishing, right? He's saying, be gracious to me because I'm pitiful, is what he's saying. Verse 2, again, heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Basically, heal me because I am an absolute wreck. And it starts to feel like, as you're reading this, David's not making a great case for himself here. But then comes verse 4. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. He's saying, in the end, don't save me. Don't be gracious or merciful to me because of anything in me. Save me because of your love for me, and that's it. Save me because you delight in me because that's who you are. You are a God who loves the pitiful, the broken, the wrecked. He's leaning all the way in, and that's the posture of confidence. For him to be able to say, God delights in me and he's crazy about me, not because of me, but because of who he is. See, David is absolutely okay with the fact that he is certainly not okay And he has that confidence. He has complete security and confidence in God's love for him. Okay, finally, let's pull all this together quickly and talk about this. How the gospel can create in us, both at the same time, the posture of humility and the posture of confidence. Because you need a humble confidence. You need a humility that is shot through with confidence if you are going to have stability in the midst of life's instability. Now, here's the disclaimer right up front. You cannot get this humble confidence directly, directly, okay? In other words, you'll never get a posture of both humility and confidence by trying harder to be more humble and more confident. It does not work that way. That quote I put on the front of your bulletin by the theologian, philosopher, Blaise Pascal, he says, I do not admire the excess of some one virtue unless I am shown at the same time the excess of the opposite virtue. Here's what he's saying. He's saying there's nothing especially admirable, there's nothing especially impressive about finding someone who is humble. But if someone could be at the same time humble, and confident, then that's something unique. I'm going to spare you this long argument by G.K. Chesterton, but this idea that Christianity could hold together what seemed to be opposites, humility and confidence, it's what led to his conversion. You can read about it in his book, Orthodoxy, but he wrote this. Christianity got over the difficulty of combining furious opposites by keeping them both and keeping them both furious, extreme humility, and extreme confidence at the same time. So how is it that the gospel can create this unique posture of extremes? You know, Jesus himself quoted Psalm 6. He quoted Psalm 6 verse 3. And it was the night before his crucifixion in John chapter 12, verse 27, where Jesus said, My soul is greatly troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. What's he talking about? He's saying, I came into this world and to this very hour to pour out my life for my my people to take all their troubles upon myself. What do you see when you look at the cross of Jesus? Here's what the cross should be telling you. Your sins and my sins, they were so very awful. You see a story in the cross in the gospel that says your sin is so dark and deep that nothing less than God himself dying in your place on a cross could ever save you. The cross, the gospel, it forces you out of your denial and into reality. It says this is how broken you really are. And if you get that, the gospel kills every propensity in you towards self-righteousness. It dismantles all your arguments about life being unfair to you because the cross says this is what fairness looks like. God's righteous wrath poured out against sin. The gospel says God himself had to be beaten to a pulp and hung forsaken on a cross to deliver you. And I'm telling you that if you can lean into that, despite the fact that it doesn't flatter you, that will create in you and build in you this posture of humility. But if that's all you see, then you are missing something huge. He had to die for you, but he voluntarily came to die for you. And that's what gives you a posture of confidence at the same time. When you think about this. We often assume that Jesus' voluntary death wasn't really that unique because we hear about others voluntarily dying all the time. I mean, a week from tomorrow, you're probably going to get a day off of work for it. It's called Memorial Day, right? And, 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 those service, and you're going to celebrate those servicemen and women who gave their lives and died for their country. And it's absolutely right that we would pause and honor them and remember that. And we've heard many other stories of people giving their lives to save someone else. And we ought to honor all of them. But, but here's the thing. Those brave men and women, you and I, we could only ever choose the circumstances of our death. Because the truth is, we're all going to die one day. It's unavoidable. And the Bible says there is only one man who has ever lived... That didn't have to die, and that is Jesus. His life alone merited life, but he orchestrated every detail of history for this hour that he talks about in John chapter 12, right? That his death would really and truly be the only completely voluntary death. And why why did he do that? Because he was head over heels in love with you, because He delights in you, because of His steadfast love, because He longs to rejoice over you with singing and to quiet you with His love. On the cross, His arms are stretched out for you so that you could climb into those arms and feel the expression of delight in your Father's face over you. You won't become humbly confident by trying to be humbly confident. You become humbly confident when you fix your eyes upon Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, verse 2. What was the joy set before him who had everything? It was you. And he came to give his life for you. Okay, I'm going to end just very briefly with three quick, quick applications here. First is this. When in life you feel cast off, when you feel forgotten, when you feel abandoned, when you feel reduced to tears, you can remember a couple of things. I guess first you can remember David felt that way too, and that's pretty good company to be in. But you have something even David only had a hint of. Now when you feel that way, you can look back at Jesus' cross and remember that he was really cast off. He was really forsaken. He was really abandoned for you. And He did it so that you could only ever feel cast off and abandoned because He was really cast off and abandoned for you because He took all of that for you on the cross. Second thing, if you're going to grow in this posture of humility and confidence, you need to pray and read your Bible. Sounds like something a preacher would say, right? Um, This is a prayer after all. David is teaching you how to pray with a posture of humility and confidence in this prayer. How is it that Jesus recalled this psalm in the midst of his most trying hour on this earth? It was only because he had already read it. He had already meditated upon it so that he could call it to mind when he needed it. I remember the Anglican pastor, Dick Lucas, um, once saying, the only people… Who have confidence in, in prayer are the people who pray. And the only people who have confidence in their Bibles are the people who read their Bibles, right? Whether you are new to Christianity or you've been at it for 40 years, this is how you grow in humble confidence. You build into your life a pattern of regular prayer, of regular reading the Bible. Okay, third and finally, if this is the posture, that's going to give you stability in the midst of life's instability, and if you can only get this posture by fixing your eyes upon Jesus, then you have to do whatever you have to do to keep Jesus front and center, to keep the gospel right in front of your eyes. You need to gather together weekly with God's people and worship. You need to come to this table regularly and often If you're a believer, you need to take these elements of bread and wine that represent Jesus' body and blood. You need to do it this morning. And in doing so, you need to remember that God himself, these elements are telling you that God himself had to die to save you. And he gladly and voluntarily gave his life for you. Humility and confidence is yours if you can come and embrace that. Let's pray together. Our gracious heavenly Father, we pray that you would that you would indeed give us humility and confidence that only the gospel can create in our lives. We pray that you would reveal to us the darkness and the depth of our sin and the height and the wonder of your love for us. Father, even as we prepare now to come to this table to eat and drink together, remind us that in the gospel you have satisfied our hunger, that you have quenched our thirst. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.